This year on the presidential campaign trail, ideas once only talked about in the shadows of the Democratic Party are now taking the spotlight. Stump speeches are littered with radical proposals that would change the election process and upend the way DC works. But how do we know if it's just talk or if true change is on the way? This is TikTok. I'm David Myers. Joining me today from Washington is Bloomberg's national political correspondent, Sahil Kapoor. Thanks for doing this, Sahil. Absolutely. How does this push for the spotlight the candidates are clamoring for, how is it different than previous years? Or is it just business as usual on the uh, campaign trail? It's certainly different than previous years. We have already seen uh, Democratic candidates in 2020, particularly the more progressive ones, throw the old playbook out the window and push for new, uh, far-reaching, transformative policies like single-payer health care and phasing out fossil fuels. Now what we're seeing is that debate pushing into the realm of structural changes to the very system of American elections and American government. Can you list a few of those for us, these ideas that are are, um, kind of... I don't know, liberal pipe dreams. They include abolishing the Electoral College, eliminating the Senate filibuster, expanding the Supreme Court, making Washington, and DC, uh, Washington D.C. and potentially Puerto Rico uh, full states that would give them representation, voting representation in the House, as well as two senators. Now, I, I want to talk more about the ramifications and the ideas behind these proposals, but I do want to talk about a few of them first. And let's start with the Electoral College, because that seems to be the one that's making headlines this week. You're hearing a lot of it on the campaign trail and speeches and in interviews and in town halls. So what is the plan exactly here? Who's pitching it? What would need to happen for this to become a reality? This has gained a lot of attention since uh, Elizabeth Warren, the senator from Massachusetts who is running for president, said in a town hall on Monday night that she wants to eliminate the Electoral College and decide presidential elections by popular vote. Now, this idea has been around for a long time, for generations. Um, It actually passed the House by a massive margin in 1969, uh, 339 to 70. That's how lopsided it was. But then it was filibustered in the Senate, and it didn't go anywhere. This is the kind of thing that would require a constitutional amendment to change which means uh, two-thirds majorities in the House and the Senate and ratified by three-fourths of the states, it is extremely unlikely to get anywhere close to that amount in the foreseeable future. And of course, Hillary Clinton, who lost the 2016 presidential election, she actually had three million more votes than the winner, Donald Trump, which I'm sure we all remember. (laughs) Um, Another question I want to ask you is about the Supreme Court and the proposals there. Same, Same approach. What's the plan? Who's pitching it? And what would that what would need to happen for that to happen? A number of Democratic candidates have expressed openness to this idea. Now, it's kind of new. It's, it's only come up in the last few weeks or the last few months, but there are activists on the left who are pushing it very heavily as, a, as uh, in, their, in their argument, a way to counterbalance President Trump and the Republicans' approach to the courts, which they believe has been unfair and has trampled some of the norms, most notably the 10-month blockade of President Obama's nominee Merrick Garland to an open seat. Uh, the Republican leader, Mitch McConnell, held that open and uh, allowed President Trump to fill that seat once he came into office. So Democrats are arguing that the court should be expanded. This can be done via legislation. The nine-member Supreme Court is not in the Constitution. So what they would need to do is get a majority, uh, get majorities in the House and the Senate, a president who's willing to sign that. And that would probably require doing one other thing that uh, progressives are pushing, which is eliminating the legislative filibuster. And I think it's worth mentioning here that just like the popular vote in Electoral College issue, Hillary Clinton again, won the popular vote. But also this uh, this idea with the Supreme Court, it, it kind of goes back to the fact that uh, George W. Bush and President Donald Trump have added a total of four Supreme Court justices, changing the balance of the court for generations. 
Exactly. And those are two presidents who came into office after losing the popular vote, which is only adding to Democrats' frustrations. They view the, uh, the Neil Gorsuch seat as a stolen seat, that, that, uh, one that President Obama should have been able to fill because he was uh, still, he still had 10 months in his presidency before uh, Donald Trump came into office. So that's one of the things that's driving this. And I think as a result of President Trump's ease at you know, appointing two new justices, uh, Neil Gorsuch in, in lieu of Antonin Scalia, and um, the latest one, Brett Kavanaugh, to replace Justice Anthony Kennedy, which moved the court significantly to the right. They, you know, they see a five to four conservative majority entrenched for a while. Progressives do, and they want to find, a, you know, a, a way to a way to go after that. How has the president himself responded to this, or the G- GOP itself? Do they say that this is the Democratic Party just being sore losers? That is precisely how President Trump is characterizing it. He had a tweet storm earlier this week saying that this is a very strange proposal, quote-unquote. He uh, reverted to arguing that he would have won the popular vote if he had tried to do that. Um, it, it, some, some of this moved him into a defensive position, but he also... Uh, flatly ruled out the idea of expanding the size of the Supreme Court, that it's not going to happen under his watch. So, Sahil, these ideas, though, have been circulating in the background for years. So why now are they mainstream and seemingly real campaign issues? A couple of reasons. Uh, The first is that the progressive wing of the Democratic Party is moving to embrace far-reaching ideas, as I mentioned earlier, like single-payer health care, which would mostly eliminate private insurance, and uh, the Green New Deal, which is aimed at phasing out fossil fuels as a way to combat climate change. And progressives look at the current system, and they see that if even if they win a landslide election in 2020, their counter-majoritarian structures, most notably the Senate and the legislative filibuster, that would prevent them from advancing these goals. If you need 60 votes in the Senate to pass any kind of uh, legislation, Democrats are not going to have anywhere close to that many members, and Republicans are likely going to have every incentive to, to revert to the Obama playbook where they block and obstruct. So Democrats see these structural changes as the only viable way, probably the only viable way, to get the policy ideas that they are increasingly embracing passed into law. When you say the Democrats see this as the way, um, are we talking about old school Democrats, Nancy Pelosi Democrats, Joe Biden Democrats, or are we talking about AOC Democrats, um, you know, a younger generation? Who is pushing this agenda? It's a mix of the younger generation. It's a mix of progressives of all ages. Um, it's both ideological and generational. Now you have several candidates in the Democratic primary in the 2020 field right now who are aligned with that uh, younger generation and who are channeling those more progressive ideas. That includes Elizabeth Warren. It includes Kamala Harris. It includes, to an extent, Kirsten Gillibrand and Cory Booker, both of whom, uh, Booker at least, uh, who said he's open to eliminating the filibuster just some weeks after he uh, expressed opposition to that idea. So the pressure from the left is is certainly having an impact on uh, some of these candidates. Strategically speaking, though, is there one candidate that this benefits the most? And is there one candidate that this hurts the most? That's hard to say. It's not clear that there's one candidate this benefits the most or one candidate candidate that this hurts the most. It has yet to shake out. We don't know how this is going to play in a general election. Right now, this is a debate inside the Democratic Party that onlookers are, are you know, eyeing and, and, and 
commenting on onlookers include the president of the United States. But once you get to a general election, I think there, there's going to be a certain a swath of voters that are less interested in hearing about process and structural reforms and want to know what specifically these candidates, the two nominees, are going to do for them uh, economically. So when you say that, um, do you believe that once we actually get to debates and uh, when we get to whomever wins the general and, and we're at the inauguration speech, none of these issues will actually be talked about? This is just early campaign rhetoric to fire up people? No, they will be talked about. I don't think this is going anywhere. I think the activists that are pushing this are not thinking just about 2021, although they would certainly like to, to find themselves in a position where you know they can actualize some of these things in 2021, but they're thinking 5, 10, 15 years down the road. They're laying the groundwork for something that they believe is necessary and for a systemic change that they see as essential to being able to get the things that they want, uh, get the, 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 the reforms to the system of government and the policy changes that they want nationally over the long haul. But what are the risks that they, they might encounter by taking these proposals into the mainstream, into the spotlight? Well, we know that President Trump is going to depict the Democrats as sore losers. We know that voters don't love uh, hearing about process and, and you know procedural issues. It kind of it makes a lot of people's eyes glaze over. Uh, this this cause is animating many people in you know many progressives and people inside the Democratic Party who believe in them strongly. But when you're thinking about a general election, you're going to be talking. You're, you're going to have to talk to people who are not political junkies. You know. So Hill, thank you. Thank you. Make sure to follow Sahil on Twitter. He's at Sahil Kapoor. That's the TikTok for today. Thanks for listening, and please head on over to iTunes and let us know what you think. I'm David Myers. You can follow me on Twitter at David F. Myers, and you can get all your updates 24-7 at TikTok. <laughs>